Today, we continue in our series uh, called The Gospel Revealed. It's the book of Romans. Today is week seven. It's in chapter seven. And the topic of our, of our uh, looking at chapter seven is change your life. Change your life. Uh, in this chapter, Paul wrote to the church in Rome to explain why the law wasn't what gave the believers in Rome their salvation and that there was a better way that God had provided for them to live out their faith. So here's a question for you. What, uh, just think about this one. What if someone came to you and said, hey, I've got a new way of life for you. And uh, you want to change your life for the better? And it won't always be easy, but you'll have the strength that you need to do it, and you'll find that you have a few less struggles trying to do things that are good and right. So would you want it? Yeah, of course you would. So let's talk about that. Um, we all have struggles, right? We all have struggles. We all have stuff that we go through. What are some, looking at other people as well as yourself, what are some struggles that people face? Stress. Stress. Financial. Financial. Accepting yourself. Accepting yourself. Health. Health. Worries, anxieties, uh, questions about things. Yeah, and fear. Yeah, how about doing right, how to do the right thing? That's kind of a big one, right? <laughs> and there should be a difference in our life when we believe in Jesus Christ and we ask him to be the Lord and Savior. There uh, should be a change. It should be noticeable, the change. Otherwise, you know, why would someone want to be follower of Jesus Christ if nothing changed? Uh, we have a new way of lives, and our, our, our lives shouldn't be the same. So that's kind of what Paul's writing about here, and let's start with the first six verses of Romans chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul starts out with this passage comparing the authority of the law to a marriage relationship. Paul says, you know, he's saying, as long as a husband and wife are married uh, and are both alive, they're under the authority of that marriage covenant. The marriage provides certain expectations that you be faithful to another, he, he's saying. And legal benefits, you know, I mean, there's an authority of the marriage relationship in their lives. And that ends when one of the spouses dies so that they're released from the marriage. The one that survives is released from the marriage and they can marry again. So he's saying the law 
is like that marriage relationship when we're, as long as we are alive, our natural cells alive, we're under the authority of that law. But we're released from that authority of that law by dying to it through the body of Jesus Christ. And now we belong to another, to him who raised from the dead. In other words, we belong now to Jesus Christ. We don't belong to the law, so we bear fruit to God. And there's a fruit of sin he talks about. He talks about bearing the fruit of death. And that fruit of sin is, is uh, also called the sinful nature. And Galatians 5, like we've looked at before, speaks of it. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are things that are obvious in people who are not following Jesus Christ. These are people who are under the authority of the law. They're uh, under the authority of their sinful nature. Um, because they haven't received what Jesus has done for them. So they have all these things of the flesh. And Paul tells us that we're controlled by that sinful nature, the sinful passions, and we live kind of like that passage in Galatians 5. We bear fruit for death. That's what that's talking about, is the actions that, how we live, our behavior, our, our speech, everything, that's like the fruit of that sinful nature, the fruit of death. And Paul says that the law actually arouses sinful passions. means it causes us to want to sin even more. Uh, so how does that happen? Well, have you ever been told, don't touch that? So what does that make you want to do? Touch it. touch it, yeah, exactly. So he says, but now we die to once what once bound us. And how is that? Verse 4 is through the body of Jesus Christ who died and rose again from the grave. See, what we talked about before, that old sinful part of us, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that part of us dies. And then God resurrects in us a new nature, and our spirits are renewed and made new. Uh, we're released from the law, from our old authority, he's saying, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit the Holy Spirit of God, and not in the way of the written code, which is the law. So how does that new way work? What is that new way of the Spirit? Well, Paul goes on to explain this in the next portion. So let's pick it up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? 
By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law working in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So wow, that's a lot of stuff there, right? Paul is saying he really wants to do good, but he's not able to do it. And he goes through all of this explaining of what's going on with that. And so a, a question he asks is, is the law sinful? And he says, no. It helps us know what sin is. It shows Paul an example of coveting. And having a, a coveting is that yearning to possess something. And so that, he said, when he knows about coveting, that then the law makes him aware of what coveting is. And sin seizes this opportunity, just like don't touch that, makes us want to touch it. Uh, telling him not to covet makes him have every opportunity, he says, of coveting. Everything, multiple ways that he can covet, or he's become aware of. So have you ever thought, Okay, I'm going to stop doing that, whatever, a thought or a behavior in action. Um, when you say, I'm going to stop doing that, did it get more difficult? And why is that? Yes. You decided on your own you were going to do it when it has to be God helping you. That's exactly right. According to Romans, the command to stop doing sinful things um, came and then sin sprang to life, which resulted in death. So just on our own, when we decide, guess what? The powers of sin come and take every opportunity to try and make you sin. And it's an active force in our life. Uh, the sinful nature that we're born with predisposes us to sin. It makes us want to sin, and the end result of that is spiritual death. So the question is, Paul's talking about the spiritual death thing here. What is spiritual death? What does that mean? Separated from God. Yeah. Our spirits are this eternal part of us, and our spirits are either dead in sin, 
that's the spiritual death part, or alive in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's wrath results in spiritual death. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And it goes on to say, you've been saved by faith, okay? So our faith in Jesus Christ and that mercy of God giving us that uh, grace to be able to be saved through Jesus Christ helps us to become alive spiritually. So in verse 11, he says again that sin sees the opportunity afforded by the commandment. He says sin deceived him. Does sin deceive us? Yes, it does. It deceives us and makes us think that's a good thing to go do. Or that's a natural thing to do, a normal thing to do. Makes us feel like, we, yeah, just go do that. But that sinful thing, when we do that, that will result in death. The fact that our sinful nature, that we have that, the fact that we have a sinful nature means that we could never live up to the law. That's what it means by missing the mark. It means we miss the mark of holiness, God's holiness, God's um, righteousness. We on our own can't live up to that. The, the law and the commandments, we on our own cannot do that. We miss the mark of living like that. That's why we needed a savior, because we on our own could never do it. Uh, we have this sinful nature. We fail, and sin takes advantage of that opportunity and deceives us and that leads us to spiritual death. So if the law is good, he's saying, okay, so the law, we're saying that the law is not a bad thing, it's a good thing, because it made us aware of our sin, made us aware of the need for Jesus Christ, our Savior. So he said, did the law become death to him? And he says, no, because it helped him recognize the need for Jesus Christ. It helped him see that sin, he says, was utterly sinful. So normally they tell you when you're describing something that in the definition of the word you don't use the word because otherwise, you know, so he's saying sin is utterly sinful. So what does he mean here? He's saying, you know what? It is so abhorrent. It is so bad. It is so sinful. There's no other word to describe it but sin. But let's just be clear here. It's not just a little sin. It's utterly sinful it's despicable it's horrible in my life it's beyond excess the law helps us see the utter horribleness of sin the sinfulness of sin there's no question about it the law helps us understand that so then he says the law is spiritual it's put together by God it's a spiritual thing it was given by God to us it reveals our need for Jesus Christ. But then he says we are unspiritual. We on our own are not spiritual like God. Uh, we, we need to have God's power in our life to be able to live like God wants us to. So he says our natures are fleshly, they're sinful, 
And because we don't have the power to be holy and righteous, we're like a slave to sin. So sold as a slave to sin. What would that mean? Well, you have to think about what does it mean to be a slave. If you look at slavery in the world, that means that that slave doesn't get to do anything except what the master tells him. It's usually a cruel relationship. I don't think there's any slavery that's not cruel. So he says, I've been sold as a slave to sin. I have this sinful nature, and it's a slave to sin, slave to the enemy, slave to the devil. I'm unable to do anything else. I habitually sin. Uh, sin controlled his life. So he's talking about this, and, he's, and what do we know about Paul? What was he like became, before he became a follower of Jesus Christ? Because he's talking about his past like he was this sinful person. In Philippians 3, verse 3, he said, For we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So why, if this is Paul talking about himself before he became a follower of Jesus Christ, why would he call this kind of life sinful? What do you think? Murdering the Christian. Murdering the Christian, sure. He's trying to work his way into heaven. Yeah. He's doing it in his flesh, in his own strength and power. And based on this, it doesn't sound like it was motivated by the Holy Spirit, does it? No, uh, he's living by his selfish motives. He has a, a selfish, sinful nature. So he's saying at the very end of it that, you know, I'm keeping the checklist of the law. I'm doing it all. But can we ever be good enough to attain our salvation? No, not in our own. We'll never live up to the holiness of God. And then there's the issue of the heart. What is his motivation for doing things? He realized that his motivation and how he's living, that he was living in a sinful nature. He's saying, we'll never live up to the holiness of God. We all need Jesus. We all need a Savior. And God provided for that with salvation. There's a battle that he talks about here. It's a battle that we all face before we find Jesus Christ, for sure. We have trouble doing right. When we want to do things well, we end up doing things poorly, and we make bad choices. And, and we... If we continue to try and live in our own power after we follow Jesus Christ, we're going to have a lot of that same struggle. We're trying to live in the power of the flesh, and the power of the flesh is not what God wants for us. Let me read you those, a few of those verses where you're going back and forth in the Amplified, Romans 7, 15 to 20. For I do not understand my own actions. I'm baffled and bewildered by them. I do not practice what I want to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate and yielding to my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. Now, if I habitually do what I do not want to do, that means I agree with the law, confessing that it is good, morally excellent. 
So now, if that is the case then, it is no longer I who do it, the disobedient thing which I despise, but the sin nature which lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. For the willingness to do good is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it. That is, it is not me that acts, but the sinful nature which lives in me. Wow. So there's a problem here, right? He can't do the good he wants to do. He can't seem to do it. And then the evil he doesn't want to do, the bad choices he's making, the bad actions, he's doing them because it's the sinful nature. He's trying to live out of his sinful nature still, his out of his flesh, instead of out of the spirit. Have you ever heard the devil made me do it? Is that true? No. No? Okay. To a point. Okay, yes, uh, there's a tendency within ourselves, a habitual way, sinful way, and the devil will use that part of us and try and make us. But in the end, our reacting, our behaving, thinking, speaking, all of that that's rooted in our sinful nature, it's us who makes that decision to do it. The devil can provide opportunities to do it, but it's our will that goes along with it and decides to do it. And it's difficult to do things well, do things right, make good choices without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, <coughs> when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we then have a desire within us to want to do good, to want to follow Jesus Christ but we have trouble carrying it out without the power of the Holy Spirit. And sin keeps us from that and pushes us to do what's wrong. So the person that Paul is talking about here, how do we know that Paul's describing someone who actually is a follower of Jesus Christ? Someone who's not a follower of Christ wouldn't want to follow him. That's right. And it tells us here also, he delights in his inner being at God's law. I, I think that's someone who's following Jesus Christ. He's talking about himself and some of the struggles he had when he became a follower of Christ to actually have to accept the power of the Holy Spirit, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be able to live that out. Right. So once we become a follower of Christ, we realize we are in a spiritual battle and we realize it's kind of a war. It's, it's, you realize, you know, a lot of the thing that we're doing yes. is because, you know, we're slaves to sin. And now yes. we realize that it's wrestling to do the right thing and you cannot do it in your own power. You realize that you were a slave to sin and wrestling against that and you realize you can't do it in your own power. That's right. And so the daily struggle of wanting to do right, to live in a way that honors Jesus Christ and not being able to attain it is going to cause you to, if you don't ask God for that power of the Holy Spirit to be able to live in his power, you know, he gave us 
the Christian life to live, but he didn't say do it on your own. That's the law. That to accept Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ, to live our, our lives, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. And if we don't have that, we come to the point that Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, uh, in the King James, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's someone who, who is with a desperate cry asking for help, someone who is... Uh, there's a plea to be set free of that sinful nature. They want to be free of that because that battle going back and forth, that struggle is exhausting. It's all-consuming if we stay like that. And we'll be living in a place of defeat because on our own we cannot do it. It will rob us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually of what God has for us. So when you first come to salvation... It's by a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You confess him as your Lord and Savior, and then you receive God's gift of forgiveness and the, uh, through Jesus Christ. You receive salvation, and you have a delight to know God. You're justified at that point, which means that your, your inner spirit is made right, is made holy. That inner part of you, the sin is washed away, and instead, you have the righteousness of God. Remember, we talked about that before. We become the righteousness of God in our inner spirit, in our spirit. See, we humans are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And our spirits at salvation are justified. But we are not perfect then, as we all know. What happens next is sanctification, where our body and our souls, and our souls are our mind, will, and emotion. So all of us except that very inner spirit person, also needs to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is a lifelong process of working it out. Um, Paul speaks about the battle we'll all have until we surrender our will to God and ask Jesus for the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised us that in Acts 1. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But for his power to fill us, we need that Holy Spirit power. We have to ask him to fill us, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. That way we can live, live victorious lives because we weren't meant to live the Christian life in our own strength. I don't know if you've tried that, but let me tell you from experience, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> you can keep it going for a little bit, but you will constantly have situations where you fall down and where you need help. We weren't meant to live that way, but we were meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do we still stumble? Oh, yes. But it's no longer habitual. And we can get past some of those big things that we struggled with before by the Holy Spirit encouraging us to live right. In Philippians 2, it talks about working out the salvation from our spirits, from that inner person into our mind, our will and emotions with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 8, it talks about how that works. The Holy Spirit, it's talking about. Jesus is telling his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So he will convict us of sin. He will show us about righteousness and about judgment. And so what Jesus is saying here is after he is returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes, 
you'll have that. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit helping you understand that's not a good thing to do. Don't do that. It's almost like when you drive, sometimes school buses have what they call a governor on the speed pedal, which means you can't go too fast. It's kind of like there's that part on our spirit, on our souls, that helps us say, oh, don't go there. Oh, that would be good to be like that. Help me be like that, dear Lord. And the Holy Spirit will help us to do that. And part of gaining access to the grace of God, to daily hear God speaking to us, is through the Holy Spirit. When we read the word of God, what makes it come alive in us is the power of the Holy Spirit as we're reading it. He gives us a sense of God's will in our inner person. So how do we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, Jesus said you just need to ask. I know that when we read the Bible, you know, there's like little sections. They have a title above it, and they section it off for us, so it you know, makes it a little easier to read it. But I think what's happened in some of that is that we don't understand that these things all go together. In Luke 11, verse 9, Jesus is speaking. He says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, ask, seek, knock. Ask God for this. Jesus Christ says, I will give that to you. Everyone who asks as a follower of Jesus Christ can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for his provision for us, right? Um, it's the same as for salvation. We just ask Jesus and believe. So what's the result of living a spirit-filled life? Well, if we go on from where we stopped here about at the end of verse, uh, chapter 7, about being a slave to the law of sin, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we don't live according to the sinful nature in our own strength, but by turning over our lives to Jesus Christ and living with the guidance and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then we can live, as he said in Romans 7, 6, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So how do we live in this new way? How do we change our life? You know, say you're living with all those struggles. You've got stuff like that going on. You think, man, I wish I could change my life. Here's how we can change our life. First, surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Savior and Lord. Thank him for the forgiveness of your sins uh, by his death and his resurrection. Receive what he has for you. And two, ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. 
to immerse you with his Holy Spirit, to saturate you with the Spirit's power. And then third, pray daily for the Spirit's power in your life. You know, daily surrender yourself to God. In Acts uh, 1, Jesus told his followers in a few days, in verse 5, that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And after he returned to heaven in verse 8, he said that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came on them. So what then did these followers of Christ do? Did they think, oh, that's great. Cool. They prayed to receive it. They went and committed themselves for several days in an upper room, in a prayer room, praying and asking God for all that he had for them, asking for what Jesus had told them they could have, asking for all God had provided for them. And then what happened in Acts 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, When the Holy Spirit fell on them, it enveloped them, it saturated them in the Holy Spirit's power, and gave them the power to be witnesses in all the earth. And we also have that same power available to us today. It wasn't just for them, it's for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to pray about that. Would you stand with me as we close? Just I'd ask that everybody just bow your head. What Paul is describing here, maybe you'd say, you know, that sounds a lot like me. It sounds a lot like my life right now. Man, I, I have that battle, but I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. If you want to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, if you want to receive the power, all God has for you, the wisdom and the guidance that you need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Now, if you've prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit before, and today you would like to be refreshed in that power of the Holy Spirit, would you just raise your hand also? Thank you. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you didn't intend for us to live like this person Paul describes, going back and forth, battling, trying to do good and not being able to, and not wanting to make bad choices, not wanting to be sinful, and having almost like no choice about it, that we just fall into it. Lord God, we thank you that you did not intend for us to stay there. That, that wretched person that he describes, Lord, that... While that might sound like how we are when we first come to you, Lord God, as we accept you, Lord Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, and we thank you for forgiving our sins, we ask you to be Lord of our lives. We ask you also, Lord God, in Jesus' name, baptize us in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And give us the strength, give us the empowering we need to follow Jesus Christ. Help us be able to have that uh, wisdom to know what to do. The strength to be able to resist sin. The strength to be able to walk out the Christian life that you've called us to. Lord God, we just thank you. And Father, for those of us who've, who've prayed that before, who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord God, I pray today that you would just fill us anew. Lord, touch us, anoint us with your power. Give us your strength, Lord God, for the weariness and the battles that we face that are, are not a result of our sinful nature, 
not being able to follow you, but the battles just of being in a sinful, fallen world. Lord God, I pray that you'd just wash up that weariness. Lord, give us your strength, your power to get through all of the struggles we face each day. Help us to do well. Help us to make good choices. Help us to do the things that honor and glorify you by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.